Hi everyone, I'm Alex. I'm going to read the Bible for us now. Um, We're reading from Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. But remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to them um, to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And our second reading is from Acts 26, from verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect in our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes this is the promise of our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Shall we pray? Father, show us something surprising. Show us something from you. Show us Jesus, in whose name we pray. 
Amen. So losing keys was once the bane of my life um, until, boom, <laughs> Apple AirTags. Love them. Now I know where my keys are at any given moment. Of course, in the olden days when you lost your keys, your mum would say to you, remember what she said? She said, have you looked in all the usual places? You know, have you checked the, the key hook? Is it in your bag? Is it on the counter next to the telephone? Have you left the keys in the door? Of course, when one has looked in all the usual places to find their keys and he can't find them, it's time to look in unusual places. You might like to say surprising places. Well, today is Easter Day, and I want to talk to you about hope in a surprising place, a very surprising place. This morning I asked the question, is it possible, just possible, that ultimate hope from God began in a quiet garden in about 30 AD, maybe 33, with one empty tomb for it solved a universal problem. We all look for hope. Everyone does. We can't live without it. More likely, we're looking for hopes, plural, lots of them. But we often go looking in the usual places, family or, or sometimes an ideal about family. In our vocation or an income, you hope to get a new job with new dollars, or perhaps in housing or a holiday. When lonely, in love or friendship, maybe in marriage, when sick, in doctors or specialists, all these things are good, but we have so many hopes, plural, we end up being spread thin as we look for so many solutions. We scramble, and so in all the busyness trying to cobble together a life we can hope forward, many of us miss a lasting and a substantial hope. It eludes us. All those things I mentioned a moment ago, they're good, but all these things can be taken away, and they will, of course, be taken away by death. That is inevitable. And so none of them, in the end, can provide ultimate hope. So it's time to go looking in surprising places. If there were an air tag for ultimate hope, where would it take us? This afternoon, we go to a surprising place looking for hope. I want to take you to Jerusalem by faith, not as a pilgrimage. I don't want to go to the Jerusalem as it is today with all its troubles. Rather, I want to go to Jerusalem back then, in Jesus' day, and what we'll do is we'll go past the palaces of ancient Rome, past the murky politics of Herod, past even the temple in all its glory, to a place no one then would have guessed that ultimate hope lies. We're going to go to a garden of all places, not any garden. You know, I like my garden, it gives me peace. No, we're not talking about any garden. We're talking about a particular one and to a tomb in that garden, an empty tomb, it turns out, to examine, to explore where God has decided, decided that hope should be found. And it's a surprising place indeed. In fact, so crazy, it just might be true. So out there, so weird. 
This one minute clip I'm about to show you is from the Hollywood movie Risen. It has Joseph Fiennes in it. Uh, one of the stars of uh, Handmaid's Tale, which I'm devouring at the moment. Come Lord Jesus. <laughs> the movie Risen, watch it if you can. The movie opens hours after the resurrection of Jesus with Pilate, who's now got a problem. Pilate thought he'd fix the problem by crucifixion, namely that troublemaker, Jesus. But suddenly there's news that he's alive. And so he sends his tribune, you'll see him in a moment, to fix the problem, to examine it. In this clip here, the tribune meets a disciple who is no longer afraid. Watch his laughter. But note also the surprise about where hope is found. Listen closely. By my mine own eyes, tribune, I, I, I walked with him. He spoke to me. <laughs> it's unbelievable, but it is so. Then conjure him up right now. Or show me the body he must have shed like a snakeskin. God is not at my beck and call. God, Yahweh manifests himself through a crazy, poor, dead Jew. <laughs> well, so it appears. <laughs> what does this rebirth mean? Well, eternal life. But for, for everyone. Everyone who believes. Marvellous recruiting tool. Much better than salt. How many are you? Well, we are few for now. And our only weapon is love. But this, well, this changes everything. Yahweh, God, manifests himself as a crazy, poor, dead Jew. And this changes everything. I have three questions to answer this afternoon. One, why it's a surprising place to find hope, that garden, as if it wasn't obvious. Secondly, why it should not have been surprising for those who were taking notice, paying attention. And thirdly, what difference would it make if we found this hope? Why it's a surprising place, why it shouldn't have been a surprise, what difference would it make if we found it there? So firstly, why it's a surprise, and the answer is, as I've said, it's a garden, a quiet one. And, you know, while gardens might be peaceful, um, well, that garden, there was nothing there. I mean, no one, nothing but dead bodies, no one achieving, no one deciding, no one ruling, no one doing, no one helping, no one advocating, no kingdom of God. No change to the world, because nothing happens in graveyards except gardeners who try to keep it from overgrowing. It's important to realise that on Good Friday, no one assumed that hope would be found there on a cross. Actually, one, one thug did. I don't know how he did it. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thug, the thief said to Jesus as they were both dying. Like, you get your mind around that. Somehow he picked it. No one else did. 
Not the, not the disciples, not Peter, who denied Jesus, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was losing her son. It was hopeless. No one. Maybe Pilate felt some hope. Maybe he could get a good night's sleep. Turns out that wasn't true. Jesus dying on a cross, hope being found there, it would be like hoping to win government with no candidates. You've got no hope to win. It'd be like trying to buy a home and someone says to you, throw out all your money. There's no way that you can hope to buy it. A man dying on a cross achieves nothing. No one believed that hope was found on Good Friday. But it's also true for those who woke up that Sunday morning. So in Luke 24 verse 1, follow it with me in your Bibles if you, if you can, in Luke 24 verse 1, the women who approached the tomb that Sunday morning expected a body. On the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared to anoint the body and they went to the tomb. Of course, they expect a dead body because Jesus was dead and therefore the kingdom movement was dead and they were there in a sort of mop-up role. But something happened the night before. Something happened the night before, and no one witnessed it. All the Gospels finish Friday, they rest on the Sabbath. Something happened, and then the women turn up to the tomb with a stone rolled away, or, or in Matthew's Gospel, being rolled away. And no one saw it, what happened that night. Which, by the way, means that Christianity has no Joseph Smith if you know the JWs. He has no sort of Muhammad in the middle of it to give you the revelation. The account, they take a rest on Friday, they've witnessed Christ die, and they get up the next morning to anoint the body. Verse 2, they found, the women found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so in verse 4, they were wondering about this, i.e. no reason for the body to be gone. And we're told two men, identified later as angels, appear and say in verse 5, <laughs> surprisingly, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. In other words, we know you're expecting a dead body, but the truth is you've come to the wrong place if you were looking for a live one because this is a graveyard, and he's not dead. So you're in the wrong place. It's cheeky. I mean, I like to think the angels winked when they said it. In Mark's gospel, they ran away afraid, as we saw at the beginning of our service. No one expects this. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. And in verse 11, maybe you can relate they did not believe the, the women, the testimony, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. And maybe even as you sit here today, maybe you think it sounds like nonsense to you too. Well, you're in good company. Everybody who heard the news then thought it was surprising or nonsense. In verse 37, they think they've seen a ghost. They're reaching for an explanation. In John's gospel, Thomas, who wasn't there earlier on, simply refuses to believe it without seeing it. 
the resurrection, without seeing Jesus, or rather feeling Jesus. <laughs> On the road to Emmaus, which begins in Luke 24, verse 13, you get the surprise thing in spades. Verse 13, now, the same day, two of them were going into a village called Emmaus, about seven, ten clicks from Jerusalem. Jesus appears, they don't recognize him, he has a glorified body, and one of them, called Cleopas, says to Jesus with delicious irony, verse 18, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Everyone else knows about it, and you appear not to know about it. Of course, Jesus was at the center of it. But he says with such tenderness, what things? Explain them to me. Cleopas replies about Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, mm-hmm. He was, a, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. They handed Jesus over to be sentenced, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem us. He's going to save us. We thought he was going to be our salvation. And you see that, the past tense there? We had hoped. We thought he was the one. Right, you can see where the matrix gets his narrative from. We had hoped in him, but he wasn't the one. And our hopes have been dashed with his death. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. We'll find out. You have all your hopes, perhaps elsewhere. You could be similar, really, to Cleopas and his friend. And you've come here this afternoon, you think the resurrection of Jesus is not likely... I thought maybe Jesus was the answer, but I'm not so sure. And I'm not going to put all my eggs in this one basket, but I want to suggest to you this afternoon that finding ultimate hope requires you to do just that, to place all your ultimate hopes in this one. That's what the witnesses did, and it changed everything for them, and it changed the world. They gave up their lives, so not likely a lie or a corporate delusion. It was weird when the women said it, it was weird when the disciples started proclaiming Jesus alive. They were weird. We are weird. And I'm weird. But I believe it with all my heart. Journalist Greg Sheridan wrote this morning in The Australian. He said, The best chance for Christianity to grow again in the West is not to hide, but to proclaim its radically weird teachings. But really, I do want to beef up your confidence in the resurrection. So secondly, why it should not have been a surprise. If you were paying attention, the resurrection of Jesus shouldn't have been a surprise. Firstly, Jesus kept saying throughout his ministry that this is what would happen. The Son of Man must suffer and die, Jesus said, and after three days rise again. The angels say that to the women. They say, don't you remember what he said when he was in Galilee, that the Son of Man has to suffer and die, and after three days rise again. And they, remembered, they finally remembered what he said. But when he was saying it, if you read the Gospels tonight, take a Bible, when you read the Gospels, you realize they don't. They just don't respond whenever he says that because they don't get it. In his ministry, Jesus even said that creating this new hope would span three days. So he dares the leaders in Jerusalem to tear down the temple. You tear it down, 
and I'll rebuild it in three days. That's tantalizing. His resurrection being a new way to meet God. He even drew from the prophets. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, right? Three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. But his disciples weren't expecting it. They didn't understand it. Jesus was talking like last week about going somewhere, and they're like, what, you're going to the shops? I don't know. They had their hopes in the Messiah solving another problem. Government. Government. A particular one, the Roman government. Now, I was a bit naughty with clear, clear, clear past before, uh, because I said to you before that uh, he said that we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem us. What he actually said, if you were paying attention, is that we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, not just us. Now, this is important because it gives you a glimpse into what they were hoping. They believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises of God. They just couldn't figure out how the pieces of the puzzle fit together. That is, God always promised that he was going to come and redeem the world. He made the world. He loves the world. He made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He loves you. He hates the injustice and the evil and the sin. And he was always going to clean it up. That was the promise embedded in the Jewish scriptures. The ancients called this the kingdom of God, and they were hoping for it. They had grand designs around Jesus saving Israel and beginning a sort of world movement of peace, a Jewish Messiah saving us first from Roman occupation and then ushering in a new era for Israel and then the world. We thought he was going to make Israel great again. That's what they thought. Make Israel great again. But he died. Didn't win an election. He died. And therefore, their hopes died with him. But if you look at Jesus' ministry, he said he had to die to deal with the real problem. Because the real problem in the world is not Rome. Never was. Government is not the problem. Other people are not the problem. Sin is the problem. And with it, death. That's the problem. And someone had to take on sin and to take on death for me. The Apostle Paul said that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He is the door. Resurrection is the key. The prophet Isaiah said as much hundreds of years before Jesus when he wrote these words. Look at this. On this mountain, like the Temple Mount, Mount Zion, right, right where Jesus did his ministry and just outside the city he was crucified, the prophet Isaiah said hundreds of years before Jesus, on this mountain, God will destroy the shroud that enfolds all the peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. What is that sheet? What is that shroud? He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. That's quoted in Revelation. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. He'll do it. That same prophet talks about an unnamed servant in Isaiah 53 who dies for the sins of many hundreds of years before Jesus and after this servant has suffered, assigned a grave with the wicked and the rich in his death, right? after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many 
and he will bear their iniquities. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. How slow you are to believe, said Jesus to Cleopas and his friend. How slow you are to believe all that the prophet said would happen to the Messiah. And in that very moment, Jesus opened up the scriptures and explained to them from that very passage all that would happen to him from the Jewish scriptures. There's a a verse of the Bible that goes like this. Paul said it in front of a king. He said this, you heard it a moment ago from Alex. He said, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Isn't that a great question? Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now that's a tantalizing question because I can think of a million reasons to find it incredible that God raises the dead. The first one being, I haven't seen it. Everybody I know who's died is still in the grave. The second one, I don't know, the trump card. But science. But science. See, I can think of reasons why it's incredible that God raises the dead. But Paul says, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now, if you read the argument in Acts 26, Paul is saying it's written into the Jewish story, right? It's because of this old hope that God spoke about in the Jewish scriptures that I am on trial today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I believe it's also written into human DNA. We sense the problem. We yearn for life. When someone around us dies, we don't just say, oh, well, that's just what happens. We grieve. People go to funerals and reach for any solution. One lies before you. I believe it's written into the character of God Some Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection and Jesus talked with them and Jesus said to them, you are in error because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. You don't know what God promised in the Bible, in the old covenant, and you don't know that he's powerful enough to raise the dead. He is not the God of the dead, said Jesus. He is the God of living. He is the God of life. Resurrection is possible if and only if there's a God. If there isn't a God... It's not possible, 100% correct. If it's just a material world you live in, there can be no resurrection. By the way, if you're a materialist, this is all there is, then you've got a dozen painful questions to follow next. But if you accept that there is a God, if you open that door, which is not a stretch given your existence, Resurrection is not only possible, but offered. Belief in God and in the hope he offers is therefore reasonable. Third and finally, what difference would it make if we found this hope? And amongst a myriad of answers, perhaps the first answer would be, you'd lose the fear. You'd lose the fear and walk a new path. Not just the twists and turns of life, doing life like a river, bouncing from event to event, tragedy to triumph, making the most of it. You'd walk a new path with a new saviour and a new Lord. His name is Jesus Christ and he's a better 
Lord, Caesar, right? He's a better king than all the old despots and dictators. You'd have to locate ultimate hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where does the Apple Air tag of ultimate hope take you? Where does it ping? It pings at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. You'll find hope in him, risen from the dead. And I ask you the bold question, really, is there any other hope like it? But to do that, you've got to pick the moment. You've got to find the key to your hope in his death, like that thug, or in the resurrection, like the women. And it's a surprising place, so crazy it might be true. As I said to my scripture class at Fort Street Primary on Wednesday, I said on Good Friday he solved one problem, and on Easter Day he solved another. On Good Friday he solved the problem every human being faces. He paid the price and God forgave my sin. On Easter Day he solved the second problem every human faces. He tasted death and so overcame death. Sin and despair. He gave me forgiveness and hope and eternal life. But if you do find him, if you do knock on that door and open it, if you pray today in his name, something like, I trust you, Jesus, risen from the dead, then I believe that fear is the first thing to go. Your sins are forgiven. Stop being afraid. You are divinely loved. Stop being afraid. Your death is taken care of. You laugh at death. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Like him, millions to come, stop being afraid. You have a new allegiance, not to the Caesars of the world, let alone your boss. You have a new allegiance to Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, stop being afraid. And you have a new path of obedience to walk on. It won't be easy. But you walk with Jesus, stop being afraid. And then you get to join the movement of those people who, on Good Friday, they thought they'd squash the movement, right? There's a Lunig cartoon going around, uh, Michael Lunig cartoon going around this, this on social media in the last couple of days. It goes like this. <laughs> Soldiers, look at that. <laughs> Brilliant. You kill the leader and you knit the whole movement in the bud. And yet here you are. And yet here you are. Hmm? From a handful of people in an upper room, afraid in the first instance, and then to fearless proclamation and persuasion and love from a handful of people to 400 million within 400 years. Explain that. But like millions, you'll have a new life. And so you'll set your minds on things above because you'll be found resurrected with him. So compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience will be yours. Leave your old life in the tomb with all its toxic behaviours and live the new one. This will require you to lift your eyes up to God and not just down to the world around you. And it will require you to ask and to honestly ask, what if the resurrection of Jesus isn't just an interesting idea or a mere 
debating point for bored theologians. What if the resurrection of Jesus isn't for people afraid of the dark, but rather hope for people drawn to the light? What if the resurrection of Jesus truly is the hope of the world? I'm going to pray, and then I think Emma's right. We're going to watch a video as a moment of reflection. Let me pray. Father, there are so many hopes to chase after, and we, many of us are tired. But this afternoon, we choose Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, our ultimate hope. He is our hope. And the, we believe in the power that raised Christ from the dead. We believe in that power. That that power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us now, opening the eyes of our hearts to the hope we have in him. Father, I pray right now for those of us in the room that are tempted towards despair or control or fear. We all know the experience. And yet here now, we choose to have what those first witnesses had. We choose faith over fear love over hate. We choose Jesus over all the other Caesars and Lords. We want him, and in him is our ultimate hope. Amen.